Charlie Strong's hot seat is heating up ahead of Saturday's Red River showdown against Oklahoma. We'll discuss Strong's future at Texas and fire up the hot seat meter for other high-profile coaches. Plus, is it time to buy the Washington Huskies as a championship favorite after their dismantling of Stanford? And the Colorado Buffaloes are ranked for the first time since 2005 when a certain someone was their quarterback. <clears throat> Buffs head coach Mike McIntyre joins me to discuss the Buffs' rise. Breaking the Huddle starts right now. Welcome into Breaking the Huddle, presented by Dr. Pepper. It's a college football tradition. No tailgate or watch party is complete without Dr. Pepper. Hi again, I'm Joel Klatt, and thank you for joining us tonight. Before we get going, Breaking the Huddle is going on the road again this Friday. Very excited about this. We're going to be live from the Texas State Fair ahead of the Red River Showdown between Texas and Oklahoma, and we've got two very special guests. Vince Young and Brian Bosworth are going to be joining us on the show. Come out and join us or watch live on Facebook at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central Time. Uh, first and foremost this week, I want to get to about three teams that I just thought had an outstanding week. First, the University of Washington. Big shout out to you. Handed Stanford their worst loss since 2006. It was a dominant performance on Friday night, so they get a bit of a shout out here on breaking the huddle. Clemson, you turned the ball over five times and you were still able to beat Louisville. That was a huge win, beating Lamar Jackson and the Cardinals. And uh, I got to tell you, I, I was very impre impressed with Clemson on Saturday night. And then last but certainly not least, Colorado. They beat Oregon State in a game that most of us thought that they should win, but they did it in resounding fashion. In fact, the 47-6 win, that 41-point margin, was the biggest margin of victory in a conference game since 1992, and it vaulted Colorado into the top 25, ranked for the first time since 2005, uh, excuse me, 2005, the number 21 team in the country, my alma mater, the Colorado Buffaloes, get a big tip of the hat from breaking the huddle. And because of that, we want to go live to Boulder and bring in the head coach of the Buffaloes, Mike McIntyre, to breaking the huddle. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having us on. Absolutely. Listen, you guys have had a great first month of the season. I know that you would probably point to Michigan and say, hey, we wanted to play better in the second half. But outside of that, you guys have played some great football the entire month of September and now into October. Yes, our young men are growing up and they know what it takes to, to be successful. And we've got a lot of tough games ahead of us in the Pac-12. And um, we're just one game at a time. Hey, speaking of Pac-12, now you're 2-0 in the Pac-12. I want to go back one year ago because you were knocking on the door. You were 1-8 in the Pac-12, but you had four losses all within one score. You had Arizona, UCLA, USC, and Utah. I'm sure you don't like to be reminded of that, but those close losses now are turning into big wins for you guys. What changed in the offseason, and how close were you last year, and did you have some inkling that this is, uh, was about to happen? Well, I saw the process happening. I saw our guys improving. You know, we had some tough breaks here and there. Uh, but I think what really made the difference in this May, um, right before the guys went home, they made a total commitment by our upperclassmen to get it done. Instead of talking it, showing in action. And they did that all summer, all fall camp. Um, it was it's impressive what they're doing and how they're handling themselves and, and the motivation they have for each other. You guys have been as good as anybody in the country offensively, very explosive, and you've actually done it with two different quarterbacks. Your senior, your leader, the all-time leading passer in Colorado history, Sefo Lufau, had a great start to the season, and then he went down with a high ankle sprain against Michigan. And Steven Montez, a guy none of us really knew anything about. I know you've been high on him for a couple of years, but all of a sudden Steven steps in, and all, all he does is go on the road and beat Oregon and then get that large margin of victory conference win like I was talking about over Oregon State. Can you tell us about your two quarterbacks and what they've meant to your offensive success? Yes, both of them have an extremely high percentage of completion. I think they're around the 70%. Um, both of them understand our offense. They're both big. They both can make all the throws. They also can run. Um, they're really um, excellent players. So it's nice to have two quarterbacks you know you can win um, conference games with. Did you think that Steven was going to play this well, having not really any experience in college football, and come in, first start on the road, throw for over 300 yards, and then come right back with another great game against Oregon State? I thought that he would play well. The Oregon game, the way he handled it, what I wasn't sure about is 
we were up and he threw a couple picks. And then the way he handled himself to come back and gain his composure as a young guy, never being in that situation before, and take our team down the field to score, um, that's what I didn't know if he would do or not. And you really don't know that about anybody until they go out there and do it. So that was really impressive to me. You guys have USC coming up. You're going to make a trip out to L8 here. Cepho's uh, injury, do we have any update? Uh, can you tell us how he's doing in the rehab process? Yeah, he has gotten better. It's still going to be a game time decision. We'll practice again tomorrow and Thursday and Friday and, and see where he is. Um, but uh, he has made progress. I don't want to put him out there unless he's really full speed, ready to go. And so we'll see as, it, as a game time decision goes along. Coach, I don't think anyone, and, and I don't know, maybe I'm unique because I'm so close to the program, but I don't know if anyone really realizes the level at which Colorado was as a program when you took the job in Boulder, in particular on the defensive side, you know, one of the worst defenses in the entire country, whether it was the Power Five, the Pac-12, or the entire FBS, and you guys have turned that around. You hired Jim Levitt last year to be your defensive coordinator. Obviously, uh, a lot of people know him as the head coach down from South Florida, but all of a sudden, you guys are the number one defense in the Pac-12 in total defense, passing defense, and passing efficiency defense. What has Jim meant to your coaching staff and ultimately to your defensive success? Well, Jim's done an excellent job. He brings a lot of expertise. He brings a great deal of passion, if you've ever been around Jim. And then our staff, you know, Charles Clark and Joe Tompkins coaching our secondary, Jim Jeffcoat, the great Dallas Cowboys, our defensive line coach. They really mesh well together. And then the other thing, our, our young people have grown up. Now they're juniors and seniors. They're talented. They're 20 pounds bigger. They're 110 pounds bigger on the on the bench press. They just and they've played a lot. And uh, we've got some good players out there. That's the main thing. And Jim's done a great job of meshing them all together. You see now this Pac-12 South and and how it's really wide open. You guys sit at the top of the Pac-12 South right now, albeit early in conference play. Um, have you talked to your team at all about what could be ahead for you guys and uh, in the one game at a time mentality? Do you feel like you're good enough to actually win the division? That was our goal at the beginning of the year. Uh, I think a lot of people laughed at me when they said, "What are you telling your team?" I tell them to be Pac-12 champions off the field and on the field. Off the field first, and uh, they're doing that, and they're understanding what it takes 24/7, 365 to make the sacrifices you have to make to be totally invested to be successful. I, I don't know if all the players on the team truly believed me when I first said it. And now <laughs> I would say I would say they all do now, and uh, that is our goal. And we have to take it truly one game at a time. And um, you know, USC is our next game. And, you know, University of Colorado has never, ever beat U USC. So it's going to be a big contest for us and a big test. No question, in particular on the road. There's no doubt about that. Coach, we, if you, we are live on Facebook, and we do have a couple of questions streaming in here from our live okay. audience. Matthew asks about Michigan. He said, how good was that Michigan team you faced, a team that you had the lead on in the third quarter on the road when your starting quarterback, Cepho, went down. How good do you feel like they were? Well, I think Michigan's very good. I think defensively they're, um, oh, they just kind of consume you with their defensive line. And uh, Jarrell Peppers, it seems like there's eight of him on the field. You know, he's, <laughs> he's everywhere. Uh, and then offensively they do a good job of uh, moving the football and, and doing what they need to do there. I think they're definitely a top-five football team. And we'll see as they go along in the, in the, in the um, season. But I think they're a very good football team. Well, Coach, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get flack for saying this, but listen, blood is thicker than water. I'm shoulder to shoulder with you guys. I'm, I'm proud of you guys with what you've done for, uh, for those kids and, and everything that those kids are doing on the field. Good luck this weekend, and thank you so much for joining us, man. Well, thanks for having us on. appreciate it. You bet. Mike McIntyre, head coach at Colorado. Um, lots to get into today here on Breaking the Huddle. We're going to get Bruce Feldman as the coaching carousel is starting to get really ramped up in terms of rumors about uh, several Blue Blood programs. But the topic of uh, level of job has been hot throughout the last couple of weeks as LSU uh, dumped less miles. And now Texas, while not making a change, there's lots of rumors swirling around Texas. So I went on Undisputed on FS1 earlier today and talked about how big I think the Texas job is. Take a listen. How good is the Texas job? It's very simply the best job in America 
period. There are five main criteria that you judge any job by, and this is from the coaching perspective. One, recruiting base. There is no better recruiting base than the state of Texas, and Texas is the brand of football collegiately in that state. Fan base. There's no better fan base in America. They're the only school in a conference that has their own network. You've got to have a great president and a great AD that get it. I think that's a, a very overlooked factor. And you have to have tradition as good as anybody in the country at the University of Texas. And you've got to be in a power five conference. When it comes to conferences, Texas is their own conference. Even more so than Notre Dame, Texas is the biggest domino when it comes to conference realignment that we've had. They're the single biggest influencer in college football. Therefore, this is the best job in America, period. All right, that was uh, earlier my appearance on Undisputed with Skip and Shannon, and now we bring in Bruce Feldman, the best insider in all of college football. And Bruce, um, as we start talking about jobs, and that's what everyone's going to start talking about here as we, we get going in, in college football and coaches start losing their jobs, so on and so forth, I'll pose you the question. I certainly know how I feel about Texas. How do you feel about the Texas job in general? And all this being said, Charlie hasn't gone anywhere. So I don't, I don't, this is not um, an indictment of Charlie Strong by any stretch. This is just a conversation about the job at Texas. Um, how big is the job at Texas? Yeah, I'd love to disagree with you and come up with something else, but I think you're right. You know, for all the reasons uh, they're in a, it's just the, the brand power that Texas has in that state yeah. is huge. Now, one issue that I would say, Alabama, the commitment to play football at the highest level is off the charts. And a lot of that has been done by Nick Saban. But when you look at what, what Texas is, especially how it aligns in the rest of the conference that it's in, I mean, the gap between what they can offer compared to everybody else is such a significant difference. Whereas, you know, if Texas, if Alabama's going great, you know, okay. But if LSU's going great, you know, it's a battle. Florida, same thing. There's a lot of other blue blood elite programs in there. Can I add something about even the recruiting base? Alabama can't open up the back door and get 25 players that are going to go win the national championship every year. Texas can do that. I don't know the exact number, on, on, and forgive me, I can go check. In fact, we can have some of the guys try to check during the show and get it, get it to you. Their roster, Texas's roster in the 2005 National Championship team, had maybe five guys from mm -hmm. outside of the state. They, they don't have to go anywhere. Alabama's got to go to Georgia. They have to go to Florida. And a lot of times, they've got to go to the state of Texas to get the players that they need to go win national championships. And they can do it. They can do it. But, again, recruiting base, much better at Texas. Yeah, and, you know, great resources. But also, you know, I would look, I would put USC very high up on the list because for the, some of the same reasons Texas is. You have great tradition. You're also in the conference where you are the heavyweight, the unquestioned heavyweight. Jim Mora beats USC three times in a row his first three years at UCLA. And then a couple weeks later on signing day, he loses almost every, every recruit, recruiting battle to USC. It's because most of the kids who grow up here who are great football players, want to be Trojans when they grow up. In a year in which Clay Helton was the interim coach, then given the full, I mean, some serious flux. And, and he was still, because the brand of USC is, is so strong, I, I agree completely. Um, coaching noise around the country, um, it's getting hot because of the brand power of Texas. Okay, So I'm going to stay out of this because, one, I, this is not the, the right week to start proclaiming anyone's hot seat for me doing the game in Texas and Oklahoma. But I will ask you. I'll put you on the hot seat proverbially. You talk with people at Texas. Scale of 1 to 10, how warm is Charlie's seat, uh, Charlie's seat in, in Austin? I think it's about a 9. And he, here's a couple of reasons. First of all, now, it is, it is a... It feels bad to say that because it's, it's, he's not even finished his third season right. at the school. Middle he's of also, his third season. He's also not a first-time head coach. He did a really good job at Louisville. You know he can coach, uh, operate as a head coach. But last year, you know, he hit the reset button a couple of times on his offense, and offensive coordinator yep. shuffled the staff. Now he's done it again. Uh, you know, on as the we defensive reported, side. Yeah, as we reported on Sunday. Uh, he changed. Vance Bedford, now the defense coordinator, has been demoted, mm -hmm. and Charlie's taken over the defense. Charlie is the one, you know, Charlie was a proven defensive coordinator. Vance Bedford was one of those guys who came with him to Louisville. 
Now, is that a move of panic? It's definitely a move of, hey, I got to get this thing sorted out. We've got we've given up a bunch of points in, in three of our four How games. How much of this is, is a move of optics? You know, for, for everyone around the program and saying, listen, I'm going to do whatever is necessary, whether this is actually going to change the play on the field or not. I couldn't just remain status quo going into this week. No question. I think there's there's a big portion of that. I talked to somebody within the program. I said, so what's the pulse of where you guys are right now? And this person said, you know what? Going into the year, we figured, you know, if we go seven and five, that would be some improvement. They only won five games last year. Feel like you're safe and going in the right direction because everybody knows how young they are. Yep. The best players in the program are freshmen and sophomores. Now, he said that you feel like we got to win at least nine, and then even then we might not be safe. I said, so what changed? Well, LSU came open, and Tom Herman is kind of, Tom Herman, who was at Houston now, done a really good job there. By the way, former University of Texas graduate yep. assistant, the hottest name in coaching. Tom Herman potentially is out there feeling like, hey, are we going to let LSU swoop in and get him? And I think the feeling is, hey, you know, Texas was going like this. They beat Notre Dame. People got excited. I know I I got excited. Well, we both bought I it. I thought Notre Dame was a lot better than what they were. And they're not. And so that happened. They lost to Cal. Then they lost again. I'm not shocked that they lost to Oklahoma State or to Cal because those are teams with two really good quarterbacks and good offenses. And I'm not sure I thought Texas was much better than that to begin with. I thought they were kind of like this, but now they got to find a way, even without those running backs or banged up as they are, to beat Oklahoma. Um, here's what I would say about Charlie before we get into the game. Um, and we will break down the Red River show down here in just a bit. Bruce Feldman, Joel Klatt, you're watching Breaking the Huddle. It is live on Facebook, so we encourage you to throw up your posts there on Facebook. Uh, tell us what you think of the show. Share it with your friends, as well as ask, ask us any questions that we can get to during the program on any number of these topics. Um, okay, so, so Charlie, here's two things that, that I think have made it hard for Charlie to have success in this short of a time frame. Two and a half years is what we're talking about now at Texas. One is I feel like he's gone against his football foundation or, or his, his football philosophy of where he cut his teeth, going all the way back to being a coordinator and a defensive coach at the University of Florida under Urban Meyer. This is a guy that at Louisville, his defenses, and this is the side of the ball he is the specialty on, his defenses saw about 26 minutes of field time, time of possession for, for the defense. Now they see about 33 minutes on the field because he switched offenses. He went away from the pro-style offense, ball control that protects his own defense, to this up-tempo spread, let's try to score as many points as we can and run as many plays as we can. That's seven minutes of game time, Bruce. Seven minutes. But do you feel like he kind of sold his, I don't want to say sold his soul, that makes it sound kind of slimy, but do you feel I just, like... I don't know if he understands how to be successful as a defense with that philosophy. This is the first time he's ever trying to do it. Look at Gary Patterson. He made the switch, and his defense is paying. Look at Oklahoma. They right. made the switch back to the air raid. Their defense is paying the price. These defensive coaches around the country, they're used to playing a certain way to dominate a game, dominate statistically, and... I, I don't know if Charlie understands that. The best defensive coach with this style of offense ever in college football was Nick Aliotti at Oregon. And you would never say statistically that Oregon was a great defense, but he understood how to keep his guys afloat. He would have 20, 22 guys on the depth chart. All of them would see playing time because he understood that keeping your best guys fresh for the big moments in the, in the third quarter and fourth quarter was more important than dominating statistically in the first and second quarter. I don't think these guys quite understand that moving forward. So it's, it's an interesting type of philosophical conversation. I hope Nick Aliotti heard you give them that kind of love because his name never comes up. In but any is it, of this. But, am I right? You know, when you were saying that, I was like, I wonder where he's going with this in terms of because I'm rattling off in my head. Like, you know, Texas Tech has had like 10 defensive coordinators in the last eight years, it seems. Ruffin McNeil actually was the most successful one they had. Yep. But you go through the list, and the Big 12 seems to be very, very hard for – it's just it's like you're in a different world when you coach in that in that conference with what you're offering. Now look, and this is not a knock on Charlie, but when he was in the Big East, he had a great quarterback in, te in Teddy Bridgewater, and he was they were better than most of the other teams. Now he goes in Texas, and I feel like he whether he makes it or not, 
I do believe that he left it way better than he found it. Whoever Louisville? is coaching, oh, no, te- I'm saying Texas. Oh, Whoever Texas. Whoever gets the Texas job They're is coaching loaded them. with young players. They're a year away. If Charlie Strong can get to 2017, I don't think the job will come open for a long time. I, That's I, a I big would gift. completely agree with you. If they were patient with Charlie, I think he. Texas will win next year, the year after that, the year after that, because of the recruiting that's gone on. Baylor has gone down yeah. precipitously, and so we're going to see in terms of the recruiting. Uh, the la- and then the last thing there, I told you there was two things. I think Charlie went away from his football foundation, and the last thing is that I think that he made an error in, in strategic leadership when he got the job in, in this sense. When you're a leader of any group of people, you have – the opportunity to speak to them for the first time. And that is a critical moment in that group's life. You have an opportunity to say one of two words, change or build, critical. You can say, we're gonna change the culture. That's laying a lot of blame on that group, saying you're not good enough, we've gotta change what you're doing. And it can make that group of people defensive. Whether we're talking about a corporate structure, a team, a basketball team, whatever it is, this is group dynamics, folks. If you say it, we're going to walk in and we're going to change that person or group, it's going to make it very difficult to do so. That's what Charlie did at Texas, saying they were going to change the culture from what it was under Mac Brown versus going in and inviting that group to be a part of something bigger than themselves, which is our human nature. That's what we want. And you go in and you say, hey, come with me and build something great. If you say change, you're automatically going to go way down and have to build from the bottom foundation versus saying build and then going from right here. So I think he cut the runway out from himself by, by doing what he did early in his tenure at Texas. That being said, if he keeps his job, which I hope he does, um, I think they're going to win big in the future because he's done a great job recruiting. I think that they offensively have a real identity now with Sterling Gilbert as their coordinator and Shane Bouchelle as their quarterback. And with that, as we get to the field, the Red River Showdown. Oklahoma comes in as a, what is it, eight-point favorite. They're ranked. They're 2-2. and Some failures early in the year on defense. They clearly haven't played their best football, at least in their opinion. Texas would say the same thing. Are you leaning any direction in this ballgame? I'm leaning to Oklahoma. We had, uh, we had Baker Mayfield for a feature that's going to run in the, in the pregame show, and one of the things we brought up was, hey, you've lost your 0-2 against basically his hometown program. He grew up in the Austin area, and they were really bad Texas teams he's lost to. I don't see him going 0-3, you know, but if Texas can – the guy I talked to within the program, the one thing he said is, these players love Charlie. Now, they are playing for his job. Mm-hmm. They know that. I'm curious Which to see what Which was the case last year in this yeah, game. Yeah, and they gave, and they great, gave effort. great effort. Will that be enough this time? I, we'll see. I do know one thing is that it doesn't matter how these guys come into the game. Either side. Either side here. Oklahoma or Texas. I've seen Texas teams that were bad, like last year. They had lost 50-7 to the previous week to L- uh, TCU. They were 1-4, and they rolled in there and held Oklahoma to 67 yards rushing. They didn't hold another team all season long to under 100 yards rushing. They did it to Oklahoma with that running game and what it did the rest of the season. I've seen Oklahoma play above themselves in this ballgame. Um, I'm hoping that we get the best of both programs in this ballgame, best of both quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield played the best game of his season last week against TCU, I think in large part because they were allowing him to run uh, in the quarterback run game and the designed run game. That opened up a lot of things, in particular for Joe Mixon, Samaj P. Ryan. Dede Westbrook had a big game, Mm -hmm. um, in particular down the field. But I got to tell you, there is likely to be some big plays because both of these secondaries have struggled mightily, not only covering people, but tackling as well. Do you think the stage will be too big for young Shane Bouchelle? I'm interested to see that because this is an environment unlike any other. He's played on the road. Um, grew up an Oklahoma fan. He, he Everybody grew, around him were He knows too. the game. I mean, he understands it. And I think that might even work against him because he understands the enormity the of it. Of it yeah. He understands the magnitude of what's going on in the seats. Sometimes that can work against you because you almost psych yourself out. Now, I don't think he's that type of a kid. I think he's going to play uh, really well. Um, and to me, this is about one thing, which team can run the football. Deontay Foreman had an oblique injury last week uh, in that loss against Oklahoma State for Texas. He's supposedly going to be back. Chris Warren, their second leading rusher. By the way, those two are the best two rushers in the entirety of the Big 12. Warren's likely out. Uh, meanwhile, Oklahoma has had any number of injuries. I do want to take a moment to give a tip of the cap to Tay Evans. 
Tay Evans, a linebacker for Oklahoma, sustained another concussion in the Ohio State game. And I, I just want to reach out to Tay because I understand how that feels. He has retired from football due to the uh, symptoms of concussion. Uh, my heart goes out to you, man. I know this is a hard transition, but uh, a lot of us are with you. And I know this sounds weird just saying it on a show, but if you want to reach out to me, I'm here to help you with anything that you need moving forward. So uh, Tay Evans, remarkable career, my friend, and good luck in the future. Let's move on now uh, to our next game as we go to another hot seat style game and a terrific matchup, at least as one side sees it. Washington and Oregon. Mark Helfrich, Oregon under some serious fire after three straight losses. They've given up 200 yards rushing, I believe, in all three of those games to Nebraska, Colorado, and Washington State of all teams. Going up against the fifth-ranked team in the country, the Washington Huskies, who have lost 12 straight Northwest rivalry games against uh, the Oregon Ducks. Anything jump out to you? Yeah, what jumped out is the Huskies' defensive line is nasty. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this was the vaunted Stanford offensive line, and they got eight sacks last Friday night against them. Didn't have to blitz one time to do it. Completely took Christian McCaffrey out of the game. You know, and this is an Oregon team that is just, it looks like it has lost its way right now. They're really shaky on defense still. I mean, they were terrible on defense last year, and that was with DeForest Buckner, the best defensive player in the conference. They don't have they, him. They were average with Eric Armstead and DeForest yeah. Buckner. And now they're worse than average. And offensively, you know, they do have good receivers and good running backs, but they're also playing without their best offensive tackle, Terrell, Terrell Crosby. Crosby that's so right. There's only so mm. much Royce Freeman can do. Right. Um, I know Washington gave up a lot of yards to Arizona uh, on the ground, right. and these are similar offenses. I think that's something that you'd put, um, uh, you know, a feather in your cap if you're Oregon and, and say that. But that all being said, do we have a Brandon Dawkins at Oregon right now? Well, he's injured. I, I'm saying we'll see. no, but I, I mean, do I we know, have Khalil Tate? No, but I'm saying if you're Oregon, do you have? Oh, Brandon that's Dawkins? right. You don't. I don't think Dakota Prokop is that style of Dakota runner. can run. I don't know if he can do as much damage. Like when he was at FCS level, which is a different level of football, and certainly a, he did not face a defense like what Washington has the caliber of athletes. And nope. you're going to put a true freshman in there? I don't know. Washington is yeah. really good defensively. Okay, Bruce, scale of 1 to 10 for Oregon's Mark Helfrich. How hot is the seat in Eugene? I think it's around 6, 6.5. I don't think it's scalding like it is some of these other places that we're hearing about. Remember, he won 33 games in his first three years. I mean, he was the guy who found Marcus Mariota. He helped develop him. He has had two straight FCS transfer quarterbacks. That does not yeah. help. Now, they missed on some other quarterbacks. No question they did. But, uh, you know, I think if they go to the freshman and the freshman shows some positive signs mm -hmm. over the rest of the you know, second half of the year, I think that would be something to be encouraging. I don't think they're going to pull the plug on him unless the bottom completely drops out. Remember, like, you know, 11 wins in his first three years is nothing to sneeze at. Sure. They're trending down, but again, I think you got to give them a little more time to sort it out. We will see with them. Um, quickly on the game, Jake Browning. I think this guy should be in the Heisman discussion. I, I certainly am going to keep him in that discussion. 17 touchdowns. He's been remarkable as the quarterback for Washington. Their defense, like you touched on, has been terrific. Held Stanford to 29 yards rushing. And then just an element of kind of revenge and malice, if you will. The 12-game losing streak plays in here because Washington is a proud program that has owned the Northwest when you're talking about the history of college football. And, and this is sticking in their craw, right? I mean, they, they want to end this streak. The game's in Oregon. I'll say it this way. I mean, at the, at the risk of I really like Oregon and what they've done to get themselves where they're at now in the, in the upper tier of college football. They've done a remarkable job. Um, but on the way up, they have made some enemies, scoring a lot of points, going for two, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe one too many times. The whole uniform thing tends to hack off other schools, in particular that have Nike contracts. There's no school in the country that is going to relish putting that knife a little bit deeper into their back than Washington. This is to me. This, this is the, the wrong team to go to Oregon this week. Well, this is the perfect opponent for Washington from the other side because when you talk to the Husky coaches, it's like they have been, hey, back off. We don't want you all on the bandwagon. Everybody's piling on. We didn't have that great of a year last year. They spent all off season doing that, and now all of a sudden we all watched it on Friday night and we're like, oh my goodness, look at this team. 
So they don't want people to, you know, they don't want their players to read the press clippings. They don't want their heads to swell. They don't want them to get over, you know, extended. But now you have a team that you haven't beaten in a dozen years, and it's your biggest, you know, one of your two biggest rivals. I think this is the perfect situation for Chris Peterson because they will get their complete attention this week. Two questions on Facebook. Uh, Darren says, hey, Helfrich won 33 games with Chip's team. How long will the, he found Marcus Mariota excuse carry him? That was seven years ago. I think it's going to carry him another year. I really, I, I do at this point. Now, look, if they lose the, every game and aren't competitive, maybe it's a different situation. But I just don't think they're going to say, hey, you know what, this is not working out. We're abandoning ship. I, I think you, they will probably give him a little more time to sort it out. But I could see him definitely being on the hot, very hot seat next year. Let's continue with hot seat games as we move on to Colorado at USC. USC did get a bounce back win a week ago in the Coliseum. That helps out a lot for Clay Helton against Arizona State, who is really reeling uh, right now, struggling with their identity. Speaking of hot seat, potentially for Todd Graham. Yeah, his AD doesn't love him to begin with. Clay Helton, uh, first year after that interim tag was removed, albeit by an athletic director that is no longer his athletic director. Weird move there from Pat Hayden, but scale of one to 10, the seat and its warmness in LA for Clay Helton. I think it's around seven and a half, eight. So more than Helfrich. I think it is just because USC has been so volatile, you know, and quite honestly, uh, you can say whatever you want about taking Chip Kelly's players and, and feeding off that, but they almost won a national title. You know, Clay doesn't have that kind Speaking of. Speaking of Helfrich, Helfrich almost went yeah. and, and. Clay yes. doesn't have that, that, that uh, capital right now. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I, I watched a lot of the game against uh, Arizona State. I think Sam Darnold the last two weeks, you know, at Utah, he's at least a sign. They needed something good to happen. And Sam Darnold is at. You talk to some people close to the program. They say that Clay Helton has not lost the team. That's positive. Now, USC, it's hard to predict. As you said, new AD, who knows what the heck's going on there, what, you know, whether they're going to pull the plug. I couldn't see them doing it you know, at this, in the middle of the year no, or before. The, nor because, should they. Because you don't even know who they would name as an interim. What's the point of having an interim? What, are you going to save a seven and five season? So I think they give them the rest of the year. And they, I think they would love to see just give us some reasons for optimism. And if he can do a couple of more positive things, as he did beating Arizona State, you know, I think they could ride with him because if you're USC, the last thing you do is you fire him and then wade into a coaching search with no direction. And, and you because you've been there and done that, and you've screwed it, keep screwing it up. Well, and you're going to have to compete with at least LSU and maybe Texas and maybe Texas. We'll see. Um, you know, there's some serious competition and some serious checkbooks out there. By the way, the bidding war this offseason for a guy like Tom Herman could get us into the eight million range, which is going to cause Alabama to take Nick Saban up to the Jimbo nine Fisher's million range. Going up for that. Fisher's going to go up. Meyer's going to go up. Stoops is going to go up. David Shaw could go David up. David Shaw could go up. So we're going to, we're about to enter a phase in college football where we're going to have anywhere between eight to 12 coaches making over $6 million a year. Um, but good thing that the kids can't get an extra, you know, meal because that would ruin their amateurism. Seriously. Amateurism. Okay, hot seat. Auburn. Gus Malzahn. Uh, Gus Malzahn, let me give you a quick stat for Gus Malzahn. In his first 19 games as the head coach at Auburn, he was 17-2. and two. I mean, he came in there and, like, lights out. Here he comes. In his last 26, he's 13-13, and 13, so 500. But wait, if you dig a little bit deeper on Gus Malzahn, you see that in SEC play, he was great early and has been one of the worst in his last 13 games, in his first 13 SEC games as a head coach, 11 and two. In his last 13, three and ten. Like the other side of the coin for Malzahn, one to ten. How hot is Gus Malzahn's seat? I think he's almost at a nine. You know, if they were fortunate, they beat LSU. Les Miles got got shoved out the door. I think that was, you know, I said it was a loser leaves town match, and I really think that would have been the case. You know, remember they play. Most of their nice road WWE games reference, by the way. For Rob great. Stone. That was great. Um, <laughs> they play most of their road games are coming up ahead of them. And I, I like Sean White. I think he's a pretty good quarterback. I think, I think he he's better than what, yeah. I, mean, I think what he would have fit with. for some of the stuff you were talking about before. I think you would love Sean White because of, you know, accurate. But I don't know how quite how well he fits in, for, this, offense. in this offense. He's a decent runner, but he's not Nick Marshall. He's certainly not, you know, no one's Cam Newton. But... You know, are they going to build off this? Russ I, I has just, not been good in recruiting, Bruce. 
I know the rankings will say that he has been. They've missed on guys. I mean, you know, they, they've had five-star. I don't kind see of, those players on the field. You well, they've know? had five-star JC guys who, you know, one of them last year didn't, you know, never really never played. He was booted out of the program. The other one this year was a running back who, you know, booted out before the start of the year. They've had some guys on the defensive line step up, you know, who were as advertised. But a lot of the other guys have been kind of misses. And I think in this league, in that division, there are no real easy games you know, within conference. So that that conference record you had that underscores how tough it is if he can get to seven wins I think he's in pretty good shape I do but if he if he's six and uh six and whatever he'd be five and six going into the Alabama game and Alabama drills him five and seven see I think he's gone I would I would think so as well now the one thing in his favor He's got an enormous buyout. It's one of the reasons why he was saved this Auburn last Auburn has off a season. lot of money, and They've football is really no important question. to them. Well, I think it would be, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was 12? I think it's, it was more than that. I think it starts, I want to say it, it's a little less than that, but when you start getting into other people's salary on staff, and then you're talking about bringing another staff in, I mean, you're talking about actually almost, not double that, but quite a bit more of what it takes to get the new new regime going if you go that direction. By the way, one of the reasons, albeit small, but one of the reasons that Tom Herman is so popular right now, he's got a buyout from Houston of only $2.5 million if they're not in a Power 5 conference, which they're not going to be. The Big 12 is not going to expand that quickly. $2.5 million is nothing to these programs that we're talking about here. Yeah, it's, it's really next to nothing if you dig even deeper on that. Um, I think that He's a guy that the reason why I think he's so appealing, you know, they've only lost one game in, in a year and a half there. But also, you look, he is a brilliant offensive game planner. Sure. He relates exceptionally well to players. And unlike a lot of other guys, you could see him fitting in any setting. Whereas maybe Jimbo Fisher is good at coaching. He says, I couldn't see Jimbo Fisher coaching at USC. <laughs> you know, seriously. I don't I mean, know why I just laugh. I mean, Jimbo Fisher's a great coach. And, and, how about this? Jimbo Fisher is one of the four coaches actively coaching in college football that actually have a national championship. Mm. So the, the laugh was just because, like, I'm, I'm picturing that southern type of draw. Is that all there is now? There's only four. After Les Miles was fired, it's Urban. Bob Stoops, Urban, Nick Saban, and Jimbo Fisher. Those are the only four coaches currently coaching in college football that have won a national championship. That's a crazy stat. I, didn't, I did not know that. So. Gene Chizik, not coaching right now. <laughs> well, as a head coach, yes, you're right. Um, okay, now let's get into some games this weekend. We've got, what, four or five games that I want to touch on. These are not hot seat t- style of games. I thought this one was very interesting. It's getting next to no pub. Florida State at Miami. I mean, this was like the game of my youth, right? Every single year, this was like the, uh, what Alabama LSU has been for about the last six or seven years. So Florida State at Miami, Florida State loses a heartbreaker to North Carolina on that 50-plus yard field goal at the end after taking the lead late. And Miami is sitting there at 4-0, albeit with wins over Florida A&M, Florida Atlantic, App State, and Georgia Tech. I don't know how good Miami is. Nobody knows. I mean, at least those two games were on the road, you know, so I give it a little something. App and State and Georgia Tech yeah, were on the and road. And those two teams are kind of quirky offenses for a young defense, which Miami's starting three freshman linebackers. I think Manny Diaz, the defense coordinator, has done a really, really good job. You know, when you said about how big a game this used to be, this is Miami's fault why the game has fallen off, because they had fallen off. Uh, even if Miami wins this game, especially after, you know, Florida State got destroyed at Louisville, and then Lost their 22-game home Carolina. win streak gets snapped in North Carolina. I think that would almost be a little bit of an indictment of Florida State if mm-hmm. Miami wins, but it would be a big step, not just in recruiting, but for Mark Rick's program Oof. going forward. Brad Kaya, you know, we could talk about this. Look at all the SEC, ACC quarterbacks we got. We got Lamar Jackson, we got Deshaun Watson, we got now Mitch Trubisky from yep. North Carolina. Yep, we'll get to him. And we got Kaya, and there's more than that. Even and, and so, Florida State struggled with Trubisky. I mean, he had a he had a great day um, against Florida State. So we'll see what Kaya is able to do in that game. I'm I'm picking Florida State in this game. I just think when you back a program like that into a corner with those type of athletes you're liable to get an effort that is uncommon. And 
I, I mean, Miami hasn't won at home since 2004. There's a lot of things. I'm just leaning towards Florida the State. The one thing that's interesting matchup. about this match, and you go back even, remember Stephen Morris? I mean, he had a pretty, pretty good arm. He was an up-and-down career. When Miami played this game, they were clearly outclassed in Florida, by Florida State the last few years, but their quarterbacks have played really well. I mean, Stephen Morris made some throws very few guys would make. They played as high as they could, but Florida State was just better than them. I'm curious to see what Kaya does and if, if the gap has really narrowed because it looks like it has. Virginia Tech at North Carolina. And before we get to what we think, a couple of Facebook questions. Aiden writes in and he says, do you think Larry Fedora will leave North Carolina? I think, I think he's going to be a really hot candidate. I think he is too, especially if Texas comes open. If Texas comes open, my hunch is Tom Herman ends up at Texas. And then LSU is looking around going, hmm, we're probably not going to get Jimbo Fisher. I don't know what you know is going to happen with Ed Ogeron on the interim there if he goes on a roll. Let's say he doesn't beat Alabama because that's a big if. I think Larry Fedora is a really attractive candidate for LSU. LSU, maybe Auburn. I mean, there's yeah. a, there's a lot yes, of those programs correct. down there that I think really would, good offensive coach. Really good offensive coach, and you can't argue with what he's done. He's had a lot of success. Um, uh, Jason writes in, "Do you think North Carolina is a contender for what?" That's what I would think, right? I mean, for what a division title? Yeah, I mean, I don't think. I don't think they're good enough defensively to, to win that conference. I, I just don't. I think they're, they're good on offense. I just think there's still a gap between them and, and, and certainly Clemson. So you got a conference matchup this week. Virginia Tech goes to North Carolina. This is one of the most underrated quarterback matchups in college football. Listen to, listen to this. Between Mitch Trubisky and, and Jer, Jared uh, Evans from Virginia Tech, 26 touchdowns, one interception. I mean, would anyone guess that between these two guys? Yeah. 26 touchdowns and only one interception. So something to watch for there. Trubisky, I'm putting on my Heisman race. I did it with Jake Browning. I've done it with Mitch Trubisky. There's no reason why he shouldn't be on anyone's Heisman uh, list right now. 76% completion percentage, uh, 13 touchdowns, no interceptions. The kid's been fantastic. He's done it against some very good teams. He should be on Heisman list. I'd, yeah, I'm with you. He for was, sure. He was my number five guy. Also, the other thing he does is he has four rushing touchdowns. He's a really good athlete. I talked to Larry Fedora on Sunday, and he's had some good quarterbacks. He had Rex Grossman at Florida. Uh, he had Chris Leak. He had Austin Davis, who was really yeah. good at Southern Miss. Yeah. And he said this kid has actually got almost the best qualities of all their best qualities. Hmm. He loves his, his competitiveness and will to win, which he saw in Austin Davis. He loves the level head and the cool that he had with Chris Leak. His arm probably isn't quite as, as strong as Rex Grossman, but it's a good arm. Grossman he, had a big arm. Yeah, and he said that, but he said he is it's close to that, and he also said he has got the, the athleticism, even more, even more athleticism than Marquise Williams, who he had last year. If Tom Herm, like, I don't want to speculate on Texas. We'll just, by the way, Virginia Tech, they turned it over in their first two ball games nine times. They've only turned it over once since. Justin Fuente, really good offensive coach, right? He's... It's just a matter of time for him. I think he's a really good coach. I think that was a really solid hire, in particular right on the heels of a kind of a legend at, at Virginia Tech with Frank Beamer. Um, so Virginia Tech, watch out for, for the Hokies. Tennessee at A&M, top 10 matchup. Um, I've been on record saying A&M is a bit of fool's gold. To clarify that, I just don't think that they're going to end up in the top 10 at the end of the year. That's where they're at right now. I don't think that they're going to end up there. Having said that, AM's running game continues to impress. A lot of that has to go out to Trevor Knight because he gives them an element that they haven't necessarily leaned on in the past. They've had mobile guys, but they haven't leaned on them in the run game like they are right now with Trevor Knight. Yeah, what to me seems different is watch the game a couple of weeks ago. They played Arkansas. They run for almost 400 yards on the ground. And the quarterback run game with quarterback draws, a lot of times, like when Johnny was, Manziel was there, it was, it wasn't, there was no zone read. Cliff right. Kingsbury never called it, but it was all the Johnny scramble. Hey, yes. we're going to run four and you take off. Improv. This, yeah, yeah, this is a different animal now. This is within the structure of the offense yeah. versus outside of the structure of the offense. And I think that's a, a, a big shift in their well, you've offense. You've probably done a lot of Noel Mazzoni games because he's <laughs> yes. in the Pac-12 at Arizona State and UCLA. I mean... I feel like it's been a while. Like, Josh Rosen's a pretty good athlete. Uh, I don't remember, you know, exactly what he had athletic, athleticism-wise at Arizona State. But Trevor Knight, I feel like, does fit a little bit better in what he, some of the stuff he can do with mm -hmm. it. 
Their run game has rushed for 200 yards in five straight. First time they've done that since 97. They've got 15 rushing touchdowns to give you some um, uh, contrast. They only had 13 all of last year. Meanwhile, on the Tennessee side, they win another heart, I mean, heartbreaker for Georgia. You've got to be kidding me with how that went down. And there's two ways to view Tennessee right now. Either the clock is going to run out on all these crazy wins, App State with the fumble into the end zone. You had the 35-3 the to 3 run against Florida. Last week's craziness where Georgia throws a Hail Mary and then the penalty, and now Tennessee throws a Hail Mary. Or you can say they haven't even played their best football because they haven't played four complete quarters and they continue to win. I'm going to regret saying this. I know it because I don't know if I trust Butch Jones enough to say this. I'm in the latter. I watched Josh Dobbs play last week at Georgia. Back-to-back, once against Florida, great defense. He's played his best two games of his career and back-to-back. I feel like it's clicked with Dobbs. And if Butch Jones would just get out of his way and allow this offense to succeed and this team to succeed, I think that they're a real contender. I think that they're the best team in the East. I think that they're going to go in and beat A&M. I don't... I'm, I know that I'm going to regret saying this. I feel like, like Tennessee hasn't played their best football and that we're about to see them even take a little bit of a run. The Maybe p- only losing to Alabama. The part that hasn't clicked for them yet, they have two stud running backs. Jalen Hurd, by the way, bad fumble you know, early in the game last week. Uh, Alvin Kamara is really dynamic. If those guys get going, because right now they have not looked like you know, arguably the best one-two punch mm-hmm. in the country, and that's what a lot of people think they are down there if they get going we'll see by the way fun little matchup within a matchup uh, Derek Barnett who's been fantastic for them they're great defensive linemen more productive than Miles Garrett more productive than any defense Miles didn't even play last week yeah. he's been banged up they had four, four guys who didn't didn't go who were basically starters but Derek Barnett is so motivated by you know everyone talking about Miles Garrett because Miles Garrett is this super freak who's going to light it up at the combine in Indy and he's a really you know productive guy too but you know Derek Barnett's going, you guys always talk about him, and it's driving him. You know, good luck blocking him on Saturday. Alabama at Arkansas. Arkansas moves up. This was like, I just shook my head at the poll on Sunday night. I don't know if you did the same thing. Do you know where I'm going with this? I know where you're going on it. Arkansas moved up four spots in the AP poll. They've beaten La Tech by one. TCU, because TCU had some dumb penalties and then had a field goal blocked late, and that's why it went to overtime. Texas State and Alcorn. And they move up four spots. If anyone rides the coattails of the SEC more than Arkansas, please show them to me. I think Alabama is going to absolutely pound Arkansas. They gave up 500 yards offense to TCU. A&M almost ran them out of the gym, 500 yards offense there. And we've got an offense from, from Bama that with the quarterback run game and Hurts back there, scoring 44 a game, I think it's potent enough to put another 500 yards of offense on Arkansas this week. I'm kind of with you. I'm not as resounding on it. I do like Austin Allen, the quarterback there. I thought when they played A&M, he got pounded around and he responded pretty well. Alcorn. Yeah, I know. It, 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 to their credit, they were the ones they who blocked. They moved up four spots for to, beating Alcorn. To their credit, their seven-foot offensive lineman was the one who blocked the kick. What are we doing in the AP poll? If Tell the, me, Bruce. Uh, I'm at a loss. I can't defend that. I that, think, is, that. Meanwhile, West Virginia has beaten BYU. They beat... Almighty SEC, Missouri's Missouri. Not Missouri's not good. I know Missouri's not good. And guess why? Because West Virginia hammered them. Meanwhile, Georgia had to go in there and have some last-second prayer just to beat them. I mean, no one gets a pass more than this conference. I cannot stand it. Arkansas moved up four spots for beating Alcorn. The vein is sticking out in your neck. Alcorn! Come on, college football. We've got to be better than this. Oh, the AP voters drive me nuts. That's why I gave up my vote last year. Sorry, Bruce. It's okay. By the way, I'm picking Alabama in this game. Couldn't if tell. you haven't noticed. Couldn't tell. Um, I think Alabama is a really good team. Second, uh, not second best, but Alabama, Ohio State, the only two teams in the country that I think are hands down better than anybody else at this point. Clemson has shown some weaknesses. Even Michigan has shown some weaknesses, even though I think those two are like three and four in the mix right now. Louisville is very good, but got beat even when getting five turnovers. Houston, uh, 
I'm still wait and see with Houston, if you will. Since you beat up Arkansas, can I give you a little positive? Yeah, there? please give a, I give think, all the Arkansas fans okay. some hope. I think. Because I just trashed on Arkansas. I do love the – I'm picking Bama to win. I like the SEC. I just – Arkansas four spots for beating Alcorn. Okay. If, <sighs> hypothetically speaking, there was a – there was a no-holds-barred fight of all the college football head coaches, all 128. Is Brett it, Bielema what, is my is, number are we, one seed. Are we ranking? We are now because I'm trying to be positive. Brett Bielema is my number one seed. I, think. I mean, he's a great soundbite, and they play tough football. Former high school wrestler. He's probably 6'4", 350. I, I don't know what. I get it. Listen, but I just – I don't think Arkansas is all that good. I, don't, I really I know, don't. I know. Um, Alabama's got a heck of a month, by the way. I mean, this one's on the road, uh, so they're going to go to Arkansas. They've gotta got Tennessee go. and A&M. They've got to go to A&M. I've mean, got to go to Tennessee next week. So. Uh, Tennessee, and they're obviously uh, in a month that you could see them maybe slip up. I don't think that they will. I think that they're the best team in the country, along with uh, Ohio State, but we'll see. And uh, I do agree with, by the way, Austin Allen. Like, he's played well. Arkansas has some things there. Obviously, they went in and beat TCU on the road in overtime. They blocked the field goal. you got to give them credit for that. There's no question about it. They're a good team. They're not a move-up four spots for beating Alcorn. I think once you get past number eight in the polls, it It, starts getting thin. I get it. I get it. Who cares? I'm just tired of that break always going to teams like Arkansas. It's always like the fringe average team in the SEC that ends up with four losses. But right now, it's going to prop up some other team yeah i mean it's just that's the way it works that's what college football is uh we we know that the sec east is not very good this year we're you're buying tennessee some who's the third best team in the sec west no miss they played three ranked teams are you saying lsu's two no i'm saying a&m is two i would go talent wise lsu on the field probably Ole miss okay i mean i think that's kind of why arkansas is floating up is because Holsters looking, going, well, we always have the SEC around, so where, who do we prop up? And that's how you get Arkansas there. I think A&M is, is a good team. I think that they're going to end the season at about 9-3 and three when I look at their schedule right now. That'll get you in the top 10. It may get you number 10. You think so? I think so. Maybe they're not fool's gold. Bruce, thanks you, man. Uh, thank you, man. I appreciate you sitting there while I ranted a little bit. Alcorn, four spots for beating Alcorn. Hit me up at Joel Clad on Twitter. Uh, breaking the huddle, by the way, we're going to go on the road again this Friday. We will be live from the Texas State Fair ahead of the Red River Showdown between Texas and Oklahoma, obviously. And we've got two like incredible guests. I cannot wait for Friday night. Vince Young, who was the quarterback of a team that beat my team 70-3. to I can't wait to see him again. And Brian Bosworth will join me on the show on Friday. Come out and join us or watch uh, live on Facebook. That's 5 p.m. Eastern, by the way, Friday night, 4 p.m. Central Time. And we're going to be tweeting out both from the College Football on Fox Twitter account. We'll post it on Facebook. I'll tweet it out, the location of where we're at at the State Fair. It's right outside of the Cotton Bowl Stadium. So we're going to be there live. Cotton Bowl Plaza. Thank you, producer. I appreciate that. Jason Kleiman, thank you for producing the show. As always, Bruce, thank you for joining me. I'm Joel Klatt, and thank you for watching and being a part of our show and sharing it online. You've watched Breaking the Huddle, presented by Dr. Pepper.